Previously on Hacker Valley Red. What is China doing? What is their propaganda strategy? And a lot of it's very overt. We know that their words don't align with their actions. They know how to exploit our supply chain. They've seen, you know, through multiple smaller level tests on our critical infrastructure, they know where to hit us the hardest. Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management chasm as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Exonius and give your teams time back to work on the high-value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. Welcome back to Hacker Valley Red. Whenever I ask Chris, who are the best hackers in the industry, he always includes the same person in his list. The person he includes is Deviant Olaf. And without a doubt, I have to agree with him because just by watching Deviant's talks, in his YouTube videos, you can see that he is a true craftsperson and he's able to take the engineering and hacker's mindset and merge the two to find the wildest vulnerabilities in physical devices. Deviant is also a repeat guest to the show and never disappoints. So sit back, learn about the hacker's mind and enjoy this episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. This is Hacker Valley Red, themed a hacker's mind. And when I asked Chris, who was one of his biggest influences when learning about cybersecurity and hacking, he always mentions Deviant. Olaf. Deviant has been on the podcast before. He is back here in the studio with us. Deviant is a physical penetration specialist with the core group and the director of education for Red Team Alliance. Deviant enjoys hacking everything from his dinner plates to his steel plates. Let's jump into what that means exactly, but welcome back to the show, Deviant. Hey, hey, thanks for having me here. It's great to be back. Steve, we go way, way back. Like, it has oh, yeah. to have been like almost 10 years at this point. But I just think about what we did together at the core group. I think about your influence on me when it comes to physical pen testing or just, just the hacker's mindset in general. And we're going to get to that stuff. But first, for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Sure, sure. So I pop up a lot of odd places on the internet. I like to kind of say these days that uh, nobody really knows Deviant, but Deviant knows everybody. Because I show <laughs> up, on, I'm like, the, hey, it's that guy of other people's podcasts and YouTube series and, and things of that nature. The handful of folk out there who have heard of me, it's probably in the context of something relating to locks or lock picking. I uh, don't know what happened to the algorithms one day 
when my normally not viewed at all sort of talks and lectures got picked up either by Reddit or, or who knows what happened, but YouTube went bananas with this one talk <laughs> called I'll Let Myself In, where it was just the top, you know, the top tricks and tips of everything that you and I and others do in the field. And I said, hey, everyone thinks of me as this lock picker, but honestly, what we do is what criminals do. And we uh, do physical on-site assessments and adversarial simulation and emulation. We're bypassing, and I'm showing door bypasses, and I'm showing you can trip the access control and the door pops open. And that talk has like 3 million views on this one little HackerCon's YouTube channel. It's really threw their <laughs> statistics off. So some people know me as that guy, the breaking into buildings guy. Other people know me as uh, you know this sort of, here's how to get the most out of your whiskey and your steak and your dinner plate. Other people know me from the firearms world where, I, again, I show up in weird places. Like uh, my buddy Carl has in-range TV. My buddy Ian has forgotten weapons. And I show up sometimes on their channels, like this hidden unlockable character that pops out of the margins in the middle of a fight scene in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> so we're talking about the mind of a hacker. And in the media, they always paint a hacker as a bad person. But that's not always the case, right? Hacker is a mindset, and it could be used for good and for bad. I know that you were a hacker early on, probably even before you even knew what a hacker was. So I'd love to hear about you developing that mindset. What was it about the world that made you want to tinker? And we'd love to hear a story about that. Yeah. So the hacker mind, as as you have defined it, I really agree with, and many other people I'm sure are nodding along. It's It's not good or evil. It is not, however, neutral. The hacker mindset involves looking at what people think of as the status quo, the accepted norm, and questioning it, saying, well, why why do we do it this way? Why is this one product supposed to be used for this function or purpose? I bet I could make it do something completely different. And that's a good thing. That's, that's at its core, it's just innovation. The problem is that there's a lot of forces, and I'm not going to attribute good or evil either to these forces. There's just a lot of momentum and status quo forces that don't like change. They don't like variation because it fouls up their processes. It fouls up how they think things should work. You know, if you look at your school computer and you say, well, the way we submit our homework actually is really restrictive. I bet if you use this, I know this like SQL box is probably only supposed to be interacted with by the web API, but the, the website's garbage. And I can write this little <laughs> app and I could like put it on my iPhone and my friend's Android phone. I could submit my homework from my phone and it doesn't use the website. Well, that's innovative. That's cool. That's great. But to a school administrator system, they might say, well, you know, we pay for licenses and that you're screwing up our license or we have a way of verifying uh, when you submitted it. And there's this check, there's a checksum that gets generated. And if we ever had to go back and validate, it was really you. So there's a lot of behind the scenes that you don't see when you're breaking how things work. And whether that's valid, those behind the scenes needs and reasons or not, it's a lot of times old people who are very stodgy that get in the way. Uh, I'm not saying we can't dismiss the just dismiss their needs out outright, but as a balance. And as we grow, a lot of us go through the same cycle of saying all the rules are dumb. Let's break them all. To then kind of getting into a place where you get your first real job, and you, or maybe you especially work for the government, right? And you say, "Wow, all the rules are very important." And yes, I hold up my hand and I will sign on the line. Rules are good. And then when you get old enough, uh, you know, you start to say. Maybe this lies in many things in life. There's a lot of nuance and subtlety, and many people's needs and experiences are different than others. 
and we should never lose the spirit that that made us great, but we should always try to keep everyone else in mind. It's interesting that you're mentioning all this. It's reminding me back in my high school days when I was tinkering with everything. If I played a video game, I didn't necessarily want to play the video game. I wanted to know how it worked and know how to bend the rules to my advantage. One of the quotes that I heard you say is, if it's not against the rules, then it's clearly within the rules. And I, I couldn't agree more, especially from my curious mind. And I could only imagine any kid growing up now that is interested in tinkering, hacking computers, they have to be very careful about it because there's so many rules that are clearly defined now that weren't there previously. What was it like for you when you were getting started? How did your mind work? And what do you think would be the differences if you were to start today? Well, definitely when I was growing up, there was less supervision, both in terms of electronic supervision and such didn't exist the way it does today. So there were just spaces and places you could go and you wouldn't get caught. And also the mentality of a lot of adults kind of gave kids more room to run. The idea of, all right, I'm just going to go outside now. And it, you weren't on the swing in your backyard. You were just you were outside. Where Where is he? Oh, he's off with friends. And that could mean you took your bike over to your neighbor's house. It could mean you went across town. Or I remember growing up, there was a 7-Eleven and behind it, there was like a creek. And we would all bike over there and buy, you know, Slurpees or whatever and get up to all kinds of shenanigans down at the creek. Like you'd swipe packs of matches as you were checking out with your Slurpee and your Fifth Avenue bar and trying to light twigs on fire and things down at the creek. <laughs> Nowadays, not only is there probably a camera on the back of the 7-Eleven, and if there's a bunch of kids doing something, the authorities will get called. But I don't even know if kids today are allowed to just take their bike, tell my mom, all right, I'm going to see you at dinner time. I don't even think you can get to the 7-Eleven anymore. You're talking about sort of the lanes in the road when it comes to being a kid. One of my favorite documentaries, and in fact, I bring this up when I do talks or keynotes, is this documentary called In Search of Greatness. And what they talk about is these great, monumentous people in different sports, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, Serena Williams, all these folks that are great in their field. It was their ability to play and using different things to their advantage when it came to odd situations with their sport. So whether they were playing soccer on a off field, maybe they were doing soccer in an alleyway, or they were playing up some stairs on a slope. These different things made it easier for them to adapt when they actually were on the field. Mm -hmm. When you talk about play today, I do feel like there are more rules than ever. There seems like there's more rules in school. There's more rules in sports and hobbies. And that rule set could be stifling creativity. It could be stifling mental agility. What are some of the ways that you think that we can bring some of that play back some of that freedom back so that we can be a little bit more creative with our kids and with ourselves. So that's, that's exactly the kind of thing that resonates with me. And the idea in that, in that documentary where they literally talk about creativity of the mind and innovation in the mind affecting, even once you're at the pro level, remembering how those lessons came up. There's a woman who, a friend of mine, she, she is a, a the pioneer of a movement called free range kids uh, anyone who remembers the old Penn and Teller show, bullshit. Uh, she was on that episode about letting your children actually grow up and make their own mistakes. Her name is Lenore Skenazy. And that that's really both amazing to see someone talking about, hey, when we were kids, 
We were allowed to go outside. We were allowed to play with things and make our own errors. We had unstructured playtime, not the, not structure from the beginning, Rig, rigid, regimented, scheduled structure is what everyone has now. But there's also the idea, it's not just giving the kids that freedom. It involves giving parents the, the ability to feel free enough to let their kids have room to run and make mistakes. I don't know how much today it's parents, even the ones who trust their kids, don't trust the systems around their kids. They don't trust the society to let the kids be safe. And they don't trust, let's say, the schools or the sports programs or you name it to not get the kids in trouble. So they send their kids out of the house with a lot more instruction, a lot more cautionary guardrails and say, don't don't stand out. Don't make a fuss. Don't call it. You don't want to be the one who's made an example of. I understand that's very wise parenting in a society that has less room for people to really be creative and expressive. But ultimately, the ones who are going to pay the price are the kids who grow up without that innovation and, and hacker creativity, which brings us back to the idea of if we don't let it happen in society broadly out there, you know, and if it's not the, the computer during break period in school, are you giving them any test areas, any playgrounds, any romping, stomping sandbox environment where kids can just break things. If you say, all right, I don't want you to go down to the local. I mean, I knew kids who would go to the junkyard and to like just find stuff, run around and, you know, big pieces of sheet metal. If you're not letting kids break into the scrapyard nowadays because they're going to get caught or get arrested, where where are you giving them that space? Are you giving them a, a room or a part of the backyard where they can just build their own ugly thing that you don't care if it's going to reduce the property values of your house. Let them build something out of a bunch of old wooden pallets. Let them get some hand tools and see what they can craft together. If the world isn't to be trusted, do you trust your kids enough even in your own limited space? I think we have, we've turned it into an all or nothing. We say, well, we've got to play by the rules and you can't do anything wild and crazy. All right, if you don't want them wild and crazy out there, so to speak, make a spot for them to be wild and crazy. We did it in the 80s with skate parks, right? Why can't we do that with other kinds of hacking on computers and power tools and everything else? So it's making me think of something. It's making me think of a hypothetical of myself. Like if I were growing up right now, if I was a teenager, we're, we're all long past our teens. But for you, Deviant, imagine for a second you are a 13-year-old kid. You have all of these restrictions, guidelines, and rules around you. And we know the type of world we live in today. How do you break out of it? That's really hard because all it takes is, you know, anyone watching or reading the news to see that we are both overly concerned about people being litigious, even though tort litigation actually hasn't gone up. It's been going down. Uh, and we're also very concerned about criminal justice, about kids. And this is really going up that more and more increasingly younger and younger kids find themselves hauled into criminal matters for what, what you and I and all of us would do when we were young would have been kind of a finger wag. I remember this is, God, there's probably no statute of limitations on this. I remember <laughs> scaling fences uh, when I was young and like going to community pools and everyone would run. Like, like a house party being broken up when the cops would show up. I remember being brought home to a friend's house. I was sleeping over. I was brought home in a police car. Mm. And it was a, the guy didn't even walk me to the door. He just said, get in that house. And he watched me walk up to the house and kind of go inside. And that was it. 
That would never happen today. Literally, that the officer would be in just as much trouble if they let a kid go because everyone is expected to, all right, you got to shove that person through the corrections environment, through the system. The system, the system keeps getting you, man. And mm. it keeps, to me, if either you, either you change the system, which is very hard on a, unless you have everyone pulling in the same direction, or you create your own private areas where people can break the normal rules. I don't know if we can create areas where kids get to scale fences and sneak into places. God, I would, I would love that. Our Red Team Alliance, there's an idea for us on the weekends. We're not running classes. Bring your kid. Bring your bring your kid to crime school today. I don't know. You know, when I think about hacking, it's really so broad. There's so many things that you can think about tinkering with. One of the things that changed my life, and in fact, one of my favorite compliments when people would watch me dance back in the day, is they would say, your body shouldn't be able to do that. And really what that encouraged me to do is to push how far I could push that boundary in everything that I do, whether it's working out, whether it's dance, whether it's doing talks or interviews or anything. So pushing the boundaries of what I can do. What is a story that you have where you doing some tinkering had dramatic effects on your entire life? Definitely when I was playing with electronic things when I was young, and which sometimes involved you know, low voltage, just toys, and sometimes involved, you know, wiring appliances and, and re trying to rewire uh, sort of the, the lighting and sound in my very first apartment when I was young. I was, you know, in my late teens, early 20s. And, you know, I, I got zapped, man. I, did, I didn't have authorization to know what I was doing. I was definitely violating some fire code. There was, <laughs> there were some, there were some wires connected in an attic or two that were not in a junction box. They were just kind of wrapped in tape and then foil or something. But the, uh, the idea of how can I pull this wire through the wall? How can I connect it? That was something that really resonated with me because it has, it has come into play in everything from how I've installed security systems in the future, the right way after having room to do it wrong, how I have defeated security systems and found where the wiring should be because I've seen that I can identify well. This job looks like it was done the right way. The wiring's probably in this conduit here. Or you look around and you say, huh, this is somebody as dumb as me. I can tell you it's done the wrong way. I bet if you trace this, well, rip this molding off the side of the door. Look at that. They just kind of pack <laughs> the wires under it. There they are. You see them sticking out at the very bottom corner. And giving yourself even the ability to crawl around in a ceiling to get dirty. To I have broken into places by going through ceilings with partners and such. That's all coming back to knowing how I crawled through my own ceiling didn't fall through too badly most of the time. If you don't have room to do it wrong, you're going to not get it right when you need to. That, that is really one of the core takeaways in my mentality about the hacker mindset. I love those examples. I'm wondering if you have any also while being a professional, like being on the job, breaking into these buildings, have you had any awkward situations that really stand out that you somehow made your way through? Oh, sure. As most of the team will tell you, like we all kind of have different nicknames and who's the scalpel, who's the gadget. And I'm, I've been nicknamed the sledgehammer because not that I'm physically destroying things, but I will definitely go for the fast, quick, dirty 80% solution. I am, I am Mr. Pareto optimal. And there are times when sure, uh, especially, I mean, you've worked with Bobak for so long with me, Bobak is Mr. Neat, tidy and do it the right way and be proud of it. There's a time for that, and there's a time that that takes too long. 
So there are situations where I have definitely pulled a lock. When you pull a lock, here for, for people listening at home, you, you pull a lock <laughs> out of a door, you can get a lot of really useful and actionable intelligence out of that lock. You can disassemble it. You can get key bidding information. If you have some knowledge, you can get a master keyed system decoded pretty quickly. But if you pull a lock out of the door, you either have to finish with it and put it back or put something in its place, ideally. And we talk about that in class now in Red Team Alliance about having replacement cylinders ready to go. And there's a lot of fun trickery you can do to make sure it doesn't look like anything's wrong. There have been times I have pulled a lock and I've said, yeah, it's back there in the corner. No one's going to notice it. <laughs> I'm going to take it back to the hotel. And that did not work well. Someone, in fact, did notice it. And there was a whole lot of, why is this door this way? What is going on? And then we had to come back in later. It's, oh, I'm wearing your high vis. And oh, yeah, this is a, uh, we were constructing a different door. We needed to uh, borrow a cylinder, make sure it fit right. I was down at the vendor uh, making sure I got the right parts. Excuse me there. And you get out of there and hope nobody's raising too much of an eyebrow. As it turns out, there was there was most people on that job were mollified. One person was not satisfied. They were a lower level employee. And they said, that doesn't sit right. And they actually got the institutional locksmith on the phone. And that person late, we learned after the fact that locksmith said, no, 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 no. That's no one should ever be doing that. What's wrong? This mm. is a security escalate to security. Good on them for doing that. You know, and we're talking about means, right? We have two means in your situation. You have the surgical means and you have the brute force means. And that also makes me think of the end. What is the ultimate intent of someone that's doing hacking either for good, for bad, or something in between? Does that really matter? When you think about going into a building, because you're going into the building with the mindset of someone that ultimately wants to help that building, do you feel like there's a difference in your means because your end is different versus someone who's legitimately looking to steal money, whether to survive or steal money for some other reason. Do you feel like there's a difference between those mindsets? I think, and you're someone who's done plenty of, uh, you know, various martial art disciplines and so forth. If your adversary that you're concerned about behaves a certain way, Ideally, that your sparring partner should try to behave as similar as possible to them. And in this environment, it was kind of okay that I think I was a little bit sloppy and fast. They were more concerned with sort of lesser trained, less disciplined criminals. We have had clients who have said, no, we're concerned. Like we've had, you know, media firms, journalists. And they say, we're concerned about nation states. We're concerned about foreign spies on American soil trying to get into our files and get it, find out our sources. We're reporting on human rights around the world. That's not a kind of adversary who would be sloppy. And if I'm sloppy in the face of my testing, then I'm not really providing them value because they, they're not going up against that caliber of adversary. If we will adjust our footprint and our posture to match what they think their valid risks are. There are definitely times where we've been told, hey, no, we're just looking for street level break in criminals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we deploy a, an ESP key or something on their access control system, <laughs> they'll say, yeah, that was really impressive. The, the door latch slipping is, I'm glad you found that. That's more likely what we're going to face. The, I don't think anybody stealing laptops is going to bring an ESP key in here. <laughs> yeah. and then we say, well, you'd be surprised how little they cost and how much people talk about them on YouTube. That's an interesting fact. And just, I don't want to deviate us too much, but sort of there's a new category of, of kind of threat. And it's not the unskilled kind of criminal. 
but it's not the professional criminal or even nation state sponsored criminal. There's what I would call people who have gone to YouTube university, mm-hmm. people who have watched a lot of this knowledge and found it on the internet, which I think is a good thing that knowledge is more accessible than ever. It'll, there's more good people than bad people in the world. And it lets good people up their posture, but people are learning about these sort of, we'll call them a hundred dollar or less attack vectors and whether they are curious teenagers or criminals with just a little bit more savvy, we are seeing people try these exploits in the world and finding it's more important than ever finding that low hanging fruit that isn't just, well, a guy shoved a crowbar in the back door. So we put a big steel door, steel door frame. We're good. Well, all right. What if somebody slips the latch, you know, $10 bypass tool and a YouTube video, they could do that. So finding that next tier of attacks uh, is something that's very important for people who are in charge of their own defense to to think about. And anyone that's listening, if they have not checked out your YouTube page, I would highly recommend it. I'll actually drop it in the show notes just in case. But I saw one of your more recent videos where you were giving, it seemed like a rehash of a conference talk. And you were showing some of the videos of yourself breaking into many different environments. And one of the ones that was my favorite was you're holding a whiskey glass and you went to these uh, doors and you spit your whiskey through the door and set up the motion sensing device to open the door itself. And I love that. I think that's so awesome. And it makes me think, like, are we making changes to stop these types of attacks? It seems like you can do this in your, your sleep. Like you could do this so easily. You, you talk so effortlessly about the topic because you're so proficient in it. Are we making changes to better secure access in a physical manner? We are just to a good degree. I'm proud to say we are. We're starting to see it's always a little bit of a lag behind the curve, right? We're starting, though, to see manufacturers that are treating latch slipping and lock shimming and for what you know bumping when bumping came out everyone first thought it was this only hacker technique and then using a bump this is the bump key attack 10 20 years ago at this point then people started saying whoa there's a lot of people talking about this and it makes us look kind of bad and then after after a few more years manufacturers started literally making products specifically geared to prevent the use of a bump key and there's always going to be a, a lag. There's a natural lag in the process that happens. But I find that pace is increasing now. The industries overall are becoming more responsive. And now, whether that's due to true due diligence or whether that's due to public pressure from people like us talking about this, I don't know. But I do know that many industries have said, all right, we have to either evolve to turn faster and evolve quicker, or we're going to be a joke or we're, we're going to be outmoded. You know, when you think about the improvements that folks have made, when you think about even the criminal that you're talking about, the one that goes to YouTube University, you're thinking about tinkerer versus tinkerer. You really need to have somebody that can understand the hacker's mindset, someone that can think like the criminal or think like the nation state. What do you think we can do as really on the protection side? The people that do think like hackers, but they're here to fix the security posture. They're here to fix the building. What can they do to more wholeheartedly understand that attacker's mindset? Do they need to be in the latest and greatest when it comes to what hackers are doing? Or is there something else that they can do to stay ahead of that curve? 
I would definitely say they don't have to be the latest and greatest. No one has to be the absolute biggest, you know, badass of the industry, but cross training your people much in the way that physical fitness and even, you know, mixed martial arts has, has taught people that multiple disciplines have a lot to say and exposing yourself to multiple vectors of attack and multiple disciplines, cross training your people. Uh, in a company, you might have a salesman. You might literally have someone who's in marketing, and he, you know, they're they're a great salesman. They they're good on the phone. They're good with customers. But they'll be better at sales if they literally go through product training. If they understand the product better, if they like, you can. Oh, I can use, let's say, Salesforce. If they are literally, they're working at Salesforce. Like I'm a sales guy. But have they ever used the interface? Have they done the, the internal company training? They'll be better at selling it if they do. And the people who work on design and UI of a product, they're going to be better if they have any kind of developer background, or at the very least, if they know the architecture of the software. They can understand why some features are the way they are, why some features aren't getting updated. The, the software developer writing that software, they're going to be a much stronger developer if they've had any time working with the customer support side of things, if they see the tickets that are coming in and they understand what works well and what doesn't, because they'll be better at both. You know, everyone is going to be better from selling the product to supporting the product to evolving it. And that apply. I'm just making a software analogy here, but that applies to the security world, right? On a, on a job, there's a story I've told in the past. I remember this specifically. We were walking around doing a site assessment after, you know, towards the end of the, of the, of the week. And it was the deputy CISO. She was with us and we were showing her some configuration issues with how the door controllers were set up. And this is not a person who has ever been configuring the door controllers, right? Like the integrator does that. They had signed off on it. Oh, the big integrator. We trust them. We've used them for everything else. But showing her right there, like this, this door controller does not, these are not managed inputs. Like the, these sensors should be going off if I unplug this wire. And she said, wait, show me that again. And just for that five minutes conversation, she said, oh, wow. She got on the foot. Literally, their integrator was on site the next day installing new readers. And she was like, hey, make sure that they can, can come talk to me for a second. So tell me about that reader. She wanted to know, is this being wired a certain way? She knew different questions to ask. So yeah, and Bobak was still there. He took them both aside and said, here, watch this. And he talked about the ESP key. Uh, the deputy CISO had heard of the ESP key. She had no idea it could be de deployed that quickly. And mm. then the SOC got involved. She literally like called the SOC and she's like, look on the cameras, monitor for alarms. Everyone went home way smarter and more capable. And the integrator had never even heard of this. They started thinking about it all because of a five minute moment. And then a little 20 minute kind of take 20 minutes out of your day and learn how other people do their jobs. There might be a hitch in the routine that you've never thought of, or there might be a vulnerability that someone could exploit that you'd never envisioned. You thought it was just Hollywood. But if you just, it's like doing a ride along with somebody in, in a fire department, like learning how I'm an architect. I'm going to build the most fireproof buildings. Okay, do a ride along with the actual fire company. And you realize very quickly, you're like, oh, wow. So my building design, you wouldn't even, yeah, if you showed up and no one was here, I don't even know how you'd pull up to this building. All right, I got to rethink that. <laughs> you know, that is so right. We underestimate the mind of an attacker or a hacker, but we even underestimate the folks that are within our company, the folks that have different roles. 
we are so much alike when we're advocating for creativity, the hacker's mindset, being free to play and to fail. There's someone out there that's listening to this right now that says, I want to do that play. I want to hack. I want to think differently. I want to tinker. But they have to create that environment for them to do so. What is that piece of advice that you would have for that person to get a little bit more freedom and get their hack on? It's so hard with tight budgets and everything these days so tightly integrated with work schedules. The idea of finding more room in your in your day-to-day to have room to fail, that's almost – it would be like walking into an accountant's office and seeing them doodling. You'd be like, what are you doing? We've got a stack of billables here. We've got clients. You're wasting time. And it might look like, but maybe that person, they weren't actually doodling. Maybe they were looking at an entire different workflow for how to process invoices. Maybe they were trying to come up with a new, I mean, math is still math, right? But maybe they were coming up with a new way of cataloging things and processing the, the jobs, giving people room to experiment with. And God, I'm so proud of, of our companies that are good at this. We understand that, you know, I can order five different locks because I want to show one of them as an exercise in the classroom. And three of them literally will be completely unsuitable. And hopefully I can return them. Thank goodness companies are better at returns nowadays. One of them, I have this potential for it. It's not really working, but I don't want to throw it out. And I'm going to keep it, even though we're never using it. And the good one, we're going to use that in the classroom. But because they understand, company teammates, they understand, all right, we spent that money and reclaimed a little bit of it. And we were sitting on what looks like just parts in a drawer. As long as you come back to that, maybe there's an idea still in there. Every amazing thing that Bobak cranks out in his lab, it's not like you look at it, you say, here's the bill of materials, here's the time, here's what it cost. Wow, why was your budget so much more? Well, the budget's so much more because you didn't see the six different ways he tried it before he hit the good way. We understand this in some industries. We understand this with pharmaceuticals. I mean, you, you, we can all complain a lot about big pharma in a number of ways, but we understand that you say that medicine, that costs $10 a pill. Well, no, the second pill costs $10. The first pill costs $10 million. We mm-hmm. understand that's how that works. But in other industries, they people don't think it's that way. They don't understand that room to have scrap. I mean, thank I love metal fabrication. I love doing a lot of work in the shop and there's just a giant scrap bin. Why? Because a lot of things aren't going to work and you're going to either recycle it or retool it later, but you're never going to walk into a metal shop and there's not a bunch of scrap parts around. Why? Because that's part of work. That's part of fabrication. That's part of welding. It's weird. People understand it implicitly in some of those industries I'm mentioning and others, they wouldn't understand it at all. I really hope people are listening to this. You're dropping so many bombs about life and hacking, and there's just so much that you can really look at and apply these concepts to. Deviant, thank you so much from the bottom of our heart. Thank you for hopping on the mics with us today. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the incredible things that you have going on in your life, what are the best ways that people can do that? Well, you can find me at deviating.net with links to other places because the other way to find me is I'm Deviant Olaf on all the major places, which is hard to say and even harder to spell. D-E-V-I-A-N-T-O-L-L-A-M. That is how we spell Olaf in the Celtic. Uh, but I am that on on Twitter, on Instagram, on GitHub, uh, you name it. I'm, I'm somewhere, if you search that username, I pop up 
Allegedly, I'm on Reddit, and I never remember to check that. So if you've messaged me on that site, I'm sure you've got something cool to say. I just will see it next month. But yeah, I'm on Twitter where I swear. I'm on Instagram where I show cats and food. I'm the usual internet person in all the internet places. (laughs) Awesome. We'll be sure to drop all of those links in the show notes. And if no one finds it that way, like you said, you will find a way to pop up in their feed one way or another. Thank you for joining us, Deviant, on Hacker Valley Red, and we will see everyone next time. Thank you. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.